0: a special episode of Myron Shoals On Time, a podcast aimed at sophisticated investors or those wishing to become sophisticated investors. I'm Phil Lyman, and in this episode, we're replaying a fascinating conversation Myron had at a recent event with Janice Henderson CEO, Ali Debaj. With Ali on the main stage at Janice Henderson's Asia Investment Summit in Singapore, and Myron dialing in, the pair explored the future of asset management, drawing on Myron's deep experience and academic work. We hope you enjoy- Enjoy the conversation. Myron Scholes is the Chief Investment Strategist here at Janice Henderson. He's part of our newly formed Solutions Group, and he leads the evolving asset allocation and product development efforts that we have uh, that has the opportunity to apply to our investment teams, uh, contributing to macro insights, quantitative specific views, hedging risk, disciplined portfolio construction, et cetera, for our firm. Now, of course, among his myriad, myriad accomplishments, Byron is the Frank E. Buck Professor of Finance Emeritus at Stanford Graduate School of Business. He's a member of the Econometric Society. He served as president of the American Finance Association. And of course, of course, of course, he's well known for his seminal work in options pricing, capital market equilibrium, tax policies, financial service industry, and an all around good guy. He's, of course, a Nobel laureate in economics and core originator of the Black-Scholes options pricing model. Myron, it's with great, great pleasure that I welcome you to this Singapore audience. Uh, you're looking well. Thank you. Thank you, Ari. Thank you, Myron. Um, so we have many, many questions, um, <clears throat> and we are going to get some questions from the audience. A few of them have already come in. So, if you're okay, let's just get started. Uh, we'll try to keep on pace here. I will, uh, with respect, sometimes interrupt you. Please feel free to interrupt me, so we can uh, we can get to as many questions as we want. Uh, so, so the first couple questions that we have is really going back to the Nobel Prize in 1997, uh, 26 years ago. Uh, actually, a bit after we opened up this office uh, in Singapore, so it's, it's it's been a little bit of a time. Just tell us about the feeling that you got. What happened? Did you know before time?
1: Uh, What's kind of the process that happened way back when? Really a a turning point in your life. It was a turning point in my life. Thank you, Ali. Basically, uh, receiving the Nobel Prize was a fantastic experience for me. It uh, was really a surprise when I received the call from Stockholm in the early morning in October in California. Many colleagues had indicated to me that I was on the list and I should win the prize. But when Fisher Black unfortunately passed away in 1995, two years before 1997, when I received the prize, I thought maybe the chances had gone down dramatically that I would be awarded the prize. Basically, we went and received it in Stockholm on in, in December 10th and the amazing ceremony and process of combining a formalism where the King of Sweden awards the prize to me. And additionally, then there's uh, talks that are given to the uh, academies and the schools. And there's also frivolity where students put on parties and the like. And it's a wonderful ceremony. Don't forget, they've done it uh, for over a 100 years since uh, 1910. And so over that time, it's really had a tremendous evolution and growth. But the most amazing thing to me, and uh, was that when I had to sign the register, of the Nobel Prize register, and look at other Nobel Prize winners that had recorded their name in the register as well, seeing such uh, persons as Albert Einstein or Madame Curry is really awe-inspiring. So I tell people, if you get the opportunity to receive the Nobel Prize, <laughs> do not turn it back.
0: Brian, <laughs> <laughs> where where do you keep the medal? Do you sleep with it? What do you what do you do with the medal?
1: <laughs> I, I can't I can't tell you that because uh, I have to keep it secret. Right? <laughs> um, I, do, I do I do have uh, the, uh, one of the awards on my wall behind me here in my office. So they give you a scroll which has your name engraved. It's original scroll, so it's pretty. It's really impressive.
0: Wow, it's very impressive. So if you think about the reason you you won it is is Black Shoals and the option pricing technology behind that, how did that impact the investment landscape, would you say?
1: Well, you have to realize the the investment landscape today is tremendously different than it was in the 1960s and the early 1970s. And with the development of the Black Shoals technology, basically many students, were attracted to business schools, and as a result of attracted to business schools, they had a model to price things, and as a result of having the understanding of technology, then those students gravitated to investment banks and investment management companies, and they set the stage for having quantitative techniques for the first time in investment banks and in companies uh, such as Janice Henderson. But basically, the idea there was to think about How you create at the same time the Black-Scholes model came out was the development of the options market and the futures market. So the number of instruments or technologies that could be used to enhance returns and have better risk management strategies for investors changed dramatically since the advent of having more tech techniques, more ways in which you can hedge risk or transfer risk. Also having technology or modeling we all have models. It's all intuition that if you have something to put your anchor on or your hat on an exact model, that enables you to be able to do much more. The Black Shoals model enabled people in industry to have a framework in which they can augment the Black Shoals or add value by using technology in managing money and in investment banking activities. So I think it was uh, a watershed and so many other people in physics or in other quantitative techniques were gravitated to finance and gravitated to our industry. And in a lot of ways, our industry is so far ahead of what is available in other parts of the world because of the understanding and the development of technology over time. So basically the business changed from just being an agent When I uh, was at Solomon or spent time at Solomon or other firms, maybe you know this for yourself, that many people were just agents. They're buyers and sellers. They, They sold securities and they purchased securities for clients. The business changed from a focus of saying, let me be an agent to being a principal. Being a principal means I'll design what my client wants. I'll give what my client wants and then I'll take the risks onto my own account and I'll hedge those risks. The risks that are remaining. So you make it from a, it's a principle where you take risks and you transfer them. And that makes things faster for the client, makes it more for what the client wants, and it makes it really more flexible. And that's how the industry changed quite dramatically since the advent of quantitative techniques.
0: The way I think about it, I've always thought about it, uh, Myron, is is it's almost a democratization of investing, bringing tools to more and more people to be able to do that. So uh, it really was a watershed moment. So you've been uh, with Janice Henderson for a number of years now. Why and what have you enjoyed about being at Janice Henderson?
1: Well, first of all, when I came to Janice Henderson, under the auspices of the uh, CIA uh, chief investment officer at the time, I talked to many of the investment professionals and I enjoyed the discussions that I had with them and the way they were thinking about adding value for investors. And they do well at it okay and basically what i liked about the firm was focused on investing it wasn't a general firm which is all over the map and various services with groups competing with each other the team was working together they're trying to think about as you said earlier adding value for clients what are the opportunities available in the active management space that was one part of it It was really attractive to me as the openness of the group to receive new ideas and new information The second part was that I was, developed a team of professionals led by Ashwin Alankar, who started working with me as a graduate from Berkeley and PhD in finance. He started working with me in 2003, and he joined me slightly after I came to Janus Henderson. And we built a technology together to extract, really the information embedded in option market prices, to generate distributions of future risk. To me, it was fascinating that I couldn't figure out a way to marry together my technology and option pricing with the idea of investment management, the old style of Markowitz or the old style of others who sharp, who talked about information ratios and returns relative to benchmarks. And we were able to develop a way to marry options together with the standard way in which portfolio theory is done to make things dynamic and not static. The value of many investments that I see is a static framework. And we wanted to say, if you have a static benchmark, your strategic portfolio, how do you take that strategic portfolio and adjust over time to risks that are in the marketplace? And that was very important. So we developed a technology to extract information from the option market as to the risks of the road ahead. What is the market telling us? What is the crowdsourced information telling us about those risks? And we have helped other teams within Janus Henderson to use our technology outputs to augment their investment processes. For example, the hedge fund group uses our signals to inform their allocation processes. The equity investment groups allocate differentially to investments and risk-taking depending on our signals and how they differ as to downside risk. We all believe that marrying together that the investment acumen and the skills to pick alpha strategies with thinking about how to manage risk or the beta part of the investment is very important to making a better performance experience for our investors going forward. And I'm super excited about the opportunities that exist at Janus to implement and augment our technology for our investors that we have under our auspices at this moment. At yeah, the firm has certainly leveraged your acumen and your expertise and,
0: and applying it to deliver for our clients and our clients' clients, particularly, Myron, in a very dynamic, landscape and dy- dynamic world that we're in today. Again, remember the Stay Invested theme that we'll talk about later on today. Innovation has happened in investments uh, since since Black Shoals, since you joined Janice Henderson. W- what are the types of things that you find most interesting in the innovation area for investments over the past several years?
1: Well, obviously, to me, the, one of the uh, shocks or the growth has been really The movement away from two ETFs or exchange traded funds and also the movement to more index investing and the growth of index of ETFs generally in combination with investment managers taking an ETF or basic passive strategy with a uh, active strategy such as hedge funds and or private equity investments. So what is happening is really the strategy is more of a barbell strategy trying to separate alphas or the ability to make abnormal returns from the beta component or the systematic risk of the portfolio. So I've seen it really a movement of pension funds and wealth funds and allocators away from strict concentration on returns, the strategic portfolio, to really thinking about not only putting buckets or in bucket investments, but really thinking about how we manage risk. And many of the investors that I've talked to Particular alley. After you talk about the changes in risk that we saw in 2022, with the market fell dramatically, that many investors are really worried about loss. They're worried about how do we manage risk. The CIO is worried about how we manage risk. That's most of the allocation of time, and the also the boards, the CIOs, the ch- chief risk officers. I want to know how can I do a better job of managing risk, and that that's. I think a very important direction that I see going forward and, and great interest among investors. And I think that basically we're going to move away from a product focus, the idea of thinking only on what products to a solutions focus, which we'll talk about a little bit later in our discussion, and then to a partnership. And the focus will be really on Data and computers and how we use these data more efficiently and basically how we can move forward to be better investors. So I'm really excited about really a development in garnering data, how we're going to get more data, how we use data in investment management to augment returns, how we capture data and what, how we're going to transfer data going forward. People have said to me, and I agree that data is the new oil. That is going to be the new oil and investments. And how do we capture and use that data? And we are thinking about that in our group, our, you know, our group now, thinking about how to do risk management by capturing that data, which really adds value for us. Uh, one of the interesting things
0: is very much, as you described it, the, the risk uh, uh, lexicon increasing among uh, CIOs and, and investors and folks that we speak with. And really, it's this disaggregation of risk that a lot of folks are talking about in terms of different factors. So really thinking about what factors we're exposed to are risk factors. And that's a lot of the way our firm thinks about exposure and creating alpha for your clients in thick or thin. <clears throat> Thank you for some of the questions that have come in. If you have any more questions, please do, please do feel free to send them in. We got one about um, about your investment thinking and whether that's changed over the past several years. Uh, are there ways that you've changed the way you tackle uh, investing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was one of the uh, forefathers or progenitors of and, uh, the idea of passive investment or index funds. So basically, I sort of developed that initial ideas in that technology. And we have now seen a huge growth in the idea of passive investments or passive investing. But the interesting part about passive investing, it's really a misnomer because passive investing is not passive investing because passive investing is more buy and hold. It doesn't take account of a changing opportunity set. It doesn't take account of a change in risks. So it's static. It's really static. It's not dynamic. And the interesting part of investing is really thinking about dynamics. And in my thinking has changed dramatically to think about what is the most important thing other than strategic allocation to those sectors that add value to those factors, as you said, Allie, that could add value to or the specific investments that can add value to you. That is really important. My second thing is really to try to worry about the growth of the portfolio how the portfolio is going to grow over time. A passive investment doesn't give you that. It's just passive. It just sits there. But if you think about dynamics, if you think about dynamics, the idea of compound return is so crucial. Making 100% one year and losing 50% the next year, on average, you make 25%. But you know, if you make 100% one year and lose 50% the next year, you're back to zero. made nothing. And so compound returns are really a, a phenomenal wonder to think about. And when you have compound returns, risk and expected return come in. So the alpha strategies that we're in, in Janice Henderson to produce better average returns have to be married together with the risk management to produce a better compound return. And compound return is a function of volatility. The more volatility you take, the more drag you have on your compound return. So that means taking excess volatility reduces the compound return even more. It increases the drag. And so if you can risk manage your portfolio, your accumulation of wealth will be much greater. Many institutional investors we talk to are very interested in compound return, even though they measure a lot of the performance of their managers by a benchmark or returns relative to a benchmark. And so that's very important in thinking about things is the reason people constrain themselves, the cost of constraints are so large. People constrain themselves to benchmarks or looking at returns relative to benchmarks because they constrain themselves because they don't trust their managers And one thing that Ali is trying to do and others are trying to do in the firm is our institutional investing team and teams is building trust. Building trust with investors allows us to loosen the constraints of our investment strategy. Many of my colleagues that I've talked to in Janice Henderson say if we weren't constrained to stay as close to the benchmark, we can really add to returns. (laughs) Maybe the alternative investment groups that Ali is talking about are going to do that by having more tracking error, taking tracking error to benchmark. So as we build more trust in the firm and trust is so important, I really believe that my thinking is gravitated to constraints are costly and trust or lack of trust is costly. Can we mitigate constraints by building a more trusting relation with our clients? And that is something that I really think is important. And one other point that I like to raise at this time is I realize that every period is important in returns. You don't have a long horizon return where you can ignore ignore the fluctuations day-to-day or month-to-month. If you can control those fluctuations, then you could add a lot to your returns. And another important point in investment that we take account of, or we should all take account of, and keep learning to take account of, is that Malkiel and others have said diversification is a free lunch. They see if you can diversify, you can get rid of the residual noise, your passive strategies, and basically you'll have a good investment experience. A, that's wrong because at times of shock, basically every asset becomes perfectly correlated or highly correlated. You have to take account of the tails. There's the bad tail, which is the lost tail, but there's also the tail, which is the up tail, the good return tails. And that has to be taken account of in investment management as well. Reducing the tails and and reducing the loss of tail loss and increasing or maintaining the upside gives you a tremendous compound return. There's a convex relation. And that's so important in creating greater terminal wealth. What I'm saying is we want to concentrate on risk management and asset selection. The combination of those two will give us a better performance than ignoring either, either of them.
0: And look, I think, Myron, the, the past 10 years, that was less relevant, right? Because there's limited volatility, risk wasn't as important, money was free, as we talked about before. As we go forward over the next 10 years, it's going to be even more important. Our belief at Janice Henderson is going to be even more important to think about the alpha generation from the have and have nots and the risk associated to those. And in, in, in doing that, we're building, Myron, a solutions business, Can you tell us a little bit about what Janice Henderson's solutions business really is and what that means going forward for our clients, both institutional and in the retail side?
1: Yeah, I mean, basically... On the solution side of launching a solutions business, uh, it's a little bit diffuse as to what we mean by a solutions business, okay? There are many ways to think of a solutions business. Everyone says they're solving client pro- problems. If they have a product, they sell a product, that's a solution to a client's business. I think the way we're thinking about it, Janice Henderson, if you can correct me, Alec, because I know you have your views as well, is that we have a set of Products that we have is one way to think about solutions. But this set of products and in our investment teams will talk to clients, listen to what they say, and be able to think about: Do we have a set of products that are already married together, which give a solution to a client because we're going to understand their problems and relate with them? And second is: we take our product set and construct a better solution for the client, working together to understand what the client what the clients want? My way of thinking about a solutions business is further the next step which we have a technology and the technology can be implemented quickly, it can be idiosyncratic, it can be for that client directly, and it can be flexible. So it's not so much a product, it's a way of thinking how do we combine the individual securities, how we combine the components efficiently to make a better alpha experience, a better return experience, and to make a better risk-managed experience. So that's an evolution, an evolution of the solutions business. But I think the reason we talk about solutions, in my view, is because we want to build that trust that I talk about. We want to work with a client to understand, in my view, what their problems are, and they could tell us what they're thinking about. And as a result of that, you can build better things together. And that that's very important, I think, for the future. Uh, And going forward, if one is building a solutions technology,
0: Myron, if you you try to turn um, turn that into a practical way, can, can you give examples? Questions that have come in. Can you give examples of how Janice Anderson uses options to to predict future risk? Is it is it just areas of high implied volatility from option pricing, or is there something else that you're using?
1: Well, it's interesting. Now, thank you for the question. Basically. There's now options traded on over 4,000 securities internationally from bonds to gold, to equities, you know, individual equities, and basically option prices that exist on each instrument give information as to the distribution of risks. And so we use the strip of option prices that exist on each instrument. And we can take those prices, which we believe are efficient, and we can then use the technology that we have and that others have developed in the academic literature and invert those prices and obtain from those prices an implied distribution with the same thing as having sensors about what the risk of the road ahead are. We use the information in the option market to tell us what the risks of the road ahead are or the whole distribution. Now, the interesting thing is what risk can we ascertain from the option market? We can obtain risks maybe only for a short period of time, like the risk of the next two months or three months. The short end, the very short end of the option market is very noisy because you have a lot of leverage and volatility. When you go to two months or three months, it really is informative as to the risk. And when we're thinking about compound returns, as I said, every period matters. So if you can do better the next three months, you can do better the next six months, you can do better the next nine months. So we extract and use from each strip of prices of the options, we then invert those prices using the Black Shoals technology and then stitching them together, each of the out of the money and in the money options, the in the money calls and the out of the money calls and the out of the money puts to figure out what the entire distribution of risk is. And we think about Volatility in a different way from other people. A lot of individuals think about volatility as a risk, but we differentiate between good volatility and bad volatility. Good volatility is upside risk. If you have a lot of volatility and it's all upside, you like that. If especially if you like it, it has no downside. We extract the skewness or the implied skewness from the distribution, which is how much upside there is versus downside. We like upside risk, we don't like downside risk. If the market is telling us there's much greater downside risk, then that affects our asset allocation. Volatility is is a description of a world that doesn't exist. Volatility exists only if the distribution of risks are constant and normal, and we know risks are changing all the time and they're not normal they're not normal, then how do we get information about how risks are changing? And that's so we can use the option market to give us the signals of the road ahead. A lot of finance drives a car only by looking in the rear view mirror, and they get all the information using past data, past factors, past correlations, past data. But that doesn't tell you about what you're really interested in, what is the sensors or the risk of the road ahead. And basically, that's we have to focus on all our investment, not only using options, but other things to give us information about what the distribution of risks are. And we know they're changing all the time.
0: And, and so therein is, is the danger, I guess, of, of using past distribution of risks to, to to pretend that those will persist going forward. That, that That's the crux of part of your thesis.
1: You can use past information, but what we have found is the option market really subsumes that past information. In other words, if you use what the market is telling you, you don't need to use the past data to forecast risk. That's number one, if you want to forecast volatility. But number two is it's better to decompose those forward risks into good risk and bad risk. Why just assume all risk is bad? And that's what we have learned, that you can decompose it into good risk and bad risk. And if your risk is good, more upside than downside You want to take more risk. If the risk is bad, more upside to downside is not good. It's more downside than upside. Take less risk. And so you can manage your risk dynamically. If the risk level goes up, what risk is important in investing? Risk of the tails are important. The option market gives you information about risk of the tails. The middle of the distribution is not very important. Think of our lives. When bad events occur, bad, bad events occur, the tails, that really is something that impacts our life. When the good events occur, good happiness, wonderful things occur, that affects our life. So risk management is not only thinking about risk of loss, it's thinking about risk of loss in the tails. It's not only thinking about risk of gain, it's thinking about risk of gain in the tails. If you can manage those two pieces your compound return experience your life experience and investment experience will be far superior than ignoring those and that's what we use option market and other information to try to extract the forward distribution of risks that are more most important to our investors and most important to enhancing compound returns.
0: Myron, we're getting a, a set of questions that, that circle around this theme. You said earlier on that um, you know we at Janice Henderson obviously have uh, fantastic investment acumen and portfolio managers at the firm, the, the, the human element. And of course, there is whether it be Black Shoals or other technology, and you're mentioning uh, using options technology, uh, that, that, that's even going to be much more advanced going forward from a distribution perspective. So there's this feeling of, um, among some of these questions, a tug of war between technology and the human element to it. Can you talk a little bit about how you think that's going to evolve over time?
1: All we have is models in finance. The Black-Scholes model is a model. So it's a model. Our intuition is a model. We all have a model, but it's based on intuition. Basically, what happens is that if we can quantify things, if we can systematize things, Then we reduce the error of our model. All of our technology and our evolution is trying to reduce the errors of our model. And data helps us do that. Whether we can data mine the past or whether we can use information from the forward information, we can reduce the error of our model. One of the interesting things that i found in talking to investors, investors allocate to their strategic portfolio. They don't do it continuously. They do it maybe monthly. They have to talk to the board. It's a slow process. All innovation in business, all innovation in finance occurs if we can do something faster, more individualized, and more flexible. If we have technology at Janice Henderson to adjust our risks based on extracting information every day from the option markets, we can make decisions faster We can use technology to make decisions faster. We can use technology to make individualized decisions for our clients, how to marry things together. And third is we can make them flexible. So technology allows for us to do things in a systematic way, in an organized way, in a way that helps us respond to our first principles of active. We have to keep revising our models all the time and everything is slow, we lose a lot. We lose a lot in the translation, the constraints are too large, but you have to be careful of technology. We know now with in new movements to AI or alternative AI and, and the idea of chat GDP and all the other technologies that are being developed, they are information that's really data mined. And so basically we have to worry about the data mining and we have to worry about how we use technology and information going forward. And so that's why I think we need skill of people have had huge experience and can use the models to enhance returns, but not be trapped by the models and not use the data from the past only to develop models, but to use theory, economic theory of science and thinking about what is it that's important. And you know, Einstein said that compound returns were one of the most powerful things in the universe. I agree with Einstein, so I took that (laughs) as a framework to start with. Moving forward
0: from that. Myron, um, we'd be remiss in the last uh, few minutes here, I'll try to squeeze a few questions in, uh, to not ask your opinion about what the, the options pricing is telling you today. Where are you seeing mispricing? Where do you think the risk reward is off, either in a positive or a negative way, as you look at your models and your uh, human intuition?
1: Well, those are very interesting questions, and uh, let me just find something here uh, that I can help myself with, just in terms of doing things, is that I think, what are option pricing telling us today about the risk of inflation and recession and the capital markets going forward? And over the next three to six months, option prices on bonds do not indicate either large inflation risk or an overly aggressive United States Federal Reserve Bank. But over the longer term, rates will be higher as more term premiums are priced into the market. This is suggestive of greater inflationary risks going forward due to structural forces such as deglobalization or insourcing or decarbonization or other factors that will affect the supply. Because basically you have two things. You have the demand which is controlled by the Federal Reserve Banks and central banks. They're trying to reduce the demand by increasing interest rates. But you can reduce the demand, but also inflation is a function of supply. If you have stickiness in supply, that'll make inflation greater. If you have insourcing, potentially, that'll increase the cost. Obviously, as we move away from the world that we had uh, previously, international uh, best suppliers of goods and services. So the front end of the curve is more attractive, as I said, than the back end. And based on commodity options or precious metals, they do not tend to indicate large risk of real rate pressures. Precious metals, being a real asset, suffer when real rates rise. And therefore, expectations are favorable to gold and are favorable to other real assets. And so, as I said, basically, uh, the US dollar looks weak relative to are forecast based on the option markets uh, relative to the euro and the yen. The yen is strengthening with the expectations of the end of yield curve control and risk of inflation causing the unwinding of the end carry trade. So I think with little signs of inflation, attractiveness of oil likely that we see in our option pricing tends to stem from demand, okay? And there are, very few signs of inflation, uh, a recession out there today and the recession really results from a weak consumer and the regional banks and credit card sectors provide value information about consumer strength. And it seems to be that loans issued are still to consumers and small businesses are still vibrant and the loan uh, reserves have not gone up dramatically from these consumer banks. We know inflation is sticky, however, and not easy to bring down. And the Federal Reserve Bank of uh, of Atlanta shows that prices of sticky components continue to accelerate higher. So the Fed Reserve Bank is paying attention to the sticky components of inflation like wages and maybe increased rates a few times further going forward. But the option market is really forecasting a softer landing. We see that, or maybe no recession at all. Option prices do not indicate a larger risk of a painful recession in the short run. In the short term, three-month options on global equities indicate an attractive of equity risk premium. Upside risk to downside risk is positive and expected gains are there. So equity attractiveness has fallen, however, over the last... Since the start of the year, I think the equity markets and the forecasters using option prices are worried that basically the Fed is going to overdo it and, and increase rates too dramatically. But still, the upside the downside is very favorable going forward. Sorry, a, a bullish Myron. Yes, I'm more bullish probably than other analysts today are going <laughs> <say. laughs>
0: well, uh, to say. Well, just just to work on your on your bullishness. Uh, last question for today: If you look forward. Over the next five or 10 years, Myron, and you put your crystal ball out, what are some of the things that you look forward to seeing from the asset management industry that you think could be exciting for uh, our clients and clients' clients?
1: We have to be helpful in risk management. We have to move to another prong, and I think many will do that. I think the second thing is technology will be key. How can we marry our technology together? And I would like to also think that really how Janice Henderson become flexible with clients and really work with clients and think about how partnership works and the outsourced partner model will be a growth model going forward in my view to create the flexibility because basically it's not as though we are supplying product only. That's not going to happen. What's going to happen is that we are going to be trying to solve problems for clients that are going forward. that are going to be very important for their, their investment reasons and acumen. For example, one of the largest unsolved problems facing insurance companies and savers today is the post-retirement glide path for consuming wealth. Many are just saying right now, the path is deterministic, no risk. All you do is assume retirees consume at a constant rate, independent of health care or legacy desires. If consumption needs are met, retirees would want to take additional risks to provide legacy for heirs. We are thinking of designing applications that actually handle more uncertainty as opposed to certainty as to how investors want to manage their wealth and risk going forward. AI is still in its infancy, using large data sets are very important to think about what algorithms will be developed. So I really think that we want to think about the idea of with the trust that we can build and with the building trust, which is so crucial, can we work in conjunction with in other our investors to add value? That is going to be a major change. We're not going to be divorced. We're going to have, it's the same way as sort of a sophisticated partner where they add value through technology it's much better for a certain groups to build the technology that could be used by others and in conjunction with it together will make a better investment experience great
0: myron thank you very much next time we'll have you here in person signing autographs taking pictures you'll, you'll bring your metal from under your bed and bring it over if you would as well
1: No, you're not supposed to tell people it's under my bed. You promised me you wouldn't
0: say that. Look, thank you, Myron, for joining us. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Myron Shoals On Time. We hope you found this conversation enlightening and thought-provoking. If you have any feedback or questions regarding this episode or any other content on our podcast, please feel free to write to us at AskMyron at JaniceHenderson.com. Until next time, I'm Phil Myman. Have a great day.
2: Views presented are as of the date published. They are for information purposes only and should not be used or construed as investment, legal or tax advice or as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any security, investment strategy or market sector. Nothing in this material shall be deemed to be a direct or indirect provision of investment management services specific to any client requirements. Opinions and examples are meant as illustration of broader themes, but not an indication of trading intent, Are subject to change and may not reflect the views of others in the organization. It is not intended to indicate or imply that any illustration or example mentioned is now or was ever held in any portfolio. No forecasts can be guaranteed and there is no guarantee that the information supplied is complete or timely, nor are there any warranties with regard to the results obtained from its use. Janice Henderson Investors is the source of data unless otherwise indicated, and has reasonable belief to rely on information and data sourced from third parties. Past performance does not predict future returns. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal and fluctuation of value. Not all products or services are available in all jurisdictions. This material or information contained in it may be restricted by law, may not be reproduced or referred to without express written permission or used in any jurisdiction or circumstance in which its use would be unlawful. Janice Henderson is not responsible for any unlawful distribution of this material to any third parties, in whole or in part. The contents of this material have not been approved or endorsed by any regulatory agency. Janus Henderson Investors is the name under which investment products and services are provided by the entities identified in the following jurisdictions. A. Europe by Janus Henderson Investors International Limited, registration number 3594615, Janus Henderson Investors UK Limited, registration number 906355, Janus Henderson Fund Management UK Limited, registration number 2678531, Henderson Equity Partners Limited, registration number 2606646, each registered in England and Wales at 201 Bishopsgate, London EC2M3AE and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, and Janus Henderson Investors Europe SA. Registration number B22848, at 2 Rue de Bitburg, L1273, Luxembourg and regulated by the Commission de Surveillance du Sector Financier. b. The U.S. by SEC registered investment advisors that are subsidiaries of Janice Henderson Group PLC, c. Canada through Janice Henderson Investors US LLC only to institutional investors in certain jurisdictions, d. Singapore by Janice Henderson Investors, Singapore, Ltd., Company Registration number 199700782 n. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by Monetary Authority of Singapore, e. Hong Kong by Janus Henderson Investors, Hong Kong Ltd. This material has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. F. South Korea by Janice Henderson Investors, Singapore, limited only to qualified professional investors, is defined in the Financial Investment Services and Capital Market Act and its sub-regulations, G. Japan by Janice Henderson Investors, Japan, Limited, regulated by Financial Services Agency and registered as a financial instruments firm conducting investment management business, investment advisory and agency business and type 2 financial instrument business. H, Australia and New Zealand by Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Limited, ABN 47124279518, and its related bodies corporate including Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Institutional Funds Management Limited, ABN 16165119531, AFSL 444266, and Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Funds Management Limited, ABN 40, AFSL 444268, I the Middle East by Janice Henderson Investors International Limited, regulated by the Dubai Financial Services Authority as a representative office. This material relates to a financial product which is not subject to any form of regulation or approval by the Dubai Financial Services Authority, DFSA. The DFSA has no responsibility for reviewing or verifying any prospectus or other documents in connection with this financial product. Accordingly, the DFSA has not approved this material or any other associated materials nor taken any steps to verify the information set out in this material, and has no responsibility for it. The financial product to which this material relates may be illiquid and or subject to restrictions on its resale. Prospective purchasers should conduct their own due diligence on the financial product. If you do not understand the contents of this material you should consult an authorized financial advisor. No transactions will be concluded in the Middle East and any inquiries should be made to Janice Henderson. We may record telephone calls for our mutual protection, to improve customer service and for regulatory record-keeping purposes. Outside of the US, Australia, Singapore, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Europe, and UK, for use only by institutional, professional, qualified and sophisticated investors, qualified distributors, wholesale investors and wholesale clients is defined by the applicable jurisdiction. Not for public viewing or distribution. Marketing communication. Janus Henderson, Knowledge Labs, and Knowledge Shared, are trademarks of Janus Henderson Group PLC or one of its subsidiaries. Copyright Janus Henderson Group PLC. C0423-49601. 43024